0: Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenogio. We have joined a series that I've been doing on Maranatha's YouTube teaching channel titled The Bible. We have joined the series at the beginning of another season, which we have titled The Story of the Whole Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them and that is exactly where we are in our story we are still looking at genesis chapter 3 verse 21 and the imageries and the portraits that we see in this verse hold for us both prophetic and theological significance this is where we are spending time on this verse so last episode we look at the garment that god made to clothe. Adam and Eve's nakedness, isn't it? We saw that Adam and Eve's nakedness was more than skin deep. They were not only physically naked, they were morally naked, they were spiritually naked. The garments that God gave to Adam and Eve, it was a picture of salvation and it was a picture of righteousness. In the garden, the garment that God made for them came from the death of innocent animals. That is what happened in the garden. But ultimately, that portrait, that imagery will be fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the ultimate fulfillment of righteousness through sacrifice is to be found in the sacrifice of the God, the Son, the God, the Son. And through his death, he will provide for us an eternal, he will provide for us an enduring robe of righteousness. But that will only be available to those people that accept it. It will only be available to those people that are penitent. It will only be available available to those people that are repentant because God cannot force this on us. So one of the things we realize, and we are going to start from there today, is that righteousness is at the heart of our relationship with God. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness is at the heart of our relationship with God. And when you read through the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, righteousness is at the heart of the revelation of God that confronts us in the New Testament. Remember we read in the book of Romans the last time that he said that Paul was writing, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but because it's the power of God unto salvation. Why is it the power of God unto salvation? He said, because they are in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So righteousness is at the heart of any relationship. And that's very, very important. Righteousness is at the heart of every relationship, whether living thing or non living thing. For example, if you are building a house, all part of that house must be in right standing with each other, according to the master plan. The foundation must be right with the type of building that you are building upon it and so on and so forth. Every part of the house must be right with the other part of the house because if not, that house will at best be defective and even worse, the house may even collapse. Also, for example, if you live in a country you have to be a righteous citizen. You have to be right with the country, with the nation in which you live. You have to live according to the constitution of the land. I'm talking about righteousness. I'm saying that righteousness is at the heart of any relationship, even much more importantly, at the heart of our relationship with God. If you break the rule of a country in which you are living, you are unrighteous and you will suffer for each according to the constitution and according to the law of the land. And all parties in human relationship have to do right by the social standard and norm that undergird that relationship. Peace is the result of righteousness. Peace is the result of righteousness. If there's a peace in a home, if there's a peace rest in a home, in a relationship, is because each of the part are standing in the right side with each other. If it's a non-living things, okay, the house is is, is 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 at peace, or the building is right because each part is right with itself. And when you read the Bible, you will see that the Bible often connect these two together. The Bible often connect peace with righteousness let's read some example just some example we are going to take some example isaiah chapter 32 verses 17 and 18 and the work of righteousness shall be what shall be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and ensure dwellings and in quiet resting place you see that that is the work of righteousness when every part is right Romans chapter 14 verses 16 and 17 let not then your good be evil's of, for the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but what righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So this righteousness bring peace. This righteousness bring joy. James chapter three verse eighteen, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that that soul peace. Now, what I'm saying here is righteousness is very important. Righteousness is important in any relationship. If a relationship is suffering, if a relationship is breaking, if there's a breakdown in relationship, no matter what relationship it is, it's because there's unrighteousness. It's because the various parts of that relationship, it's because the various party of that relationship are not standing right with each other and that is usually where the problem is sin is a manifestation of unrighteousness sin is a manifestation of unrighteousness and bring unrest and bring separation and build war between parties sin is a manifestation of unrighteousness first john chapter 5 verse 17 says all unrighteousness is sin all unrighteousness is sin. So sin always brings unrighteousness and sin is a manifestation of unrighteousness. When somebody does what is wrong, you see righteousness is doing what is right and sin is doing what is wrong. And where there is sin, unrighteousness, there's unrest, there's separation and there's a wall that is built within party. But what do you do when intimate relationship goes sour? and trust is broken, and friends became enemies. What do you do then? What do you do when intimate relationship grows sour, when there is sin, when there is unrighteousness? Now, in the case of Adam and Eve, God administered righteous judgment on Adam and Eve for their sin. God administered righteous judgment on Adam and Eve for their unfaithfulness. God did that quite all right, but god did not completely shut the door of communication against human god did not completely shut humans out in justice god offered glimmer of hope for human's redemption by god's grace by grace god will reach out to humans by grace, God will reach out to human and cause such an internal transformation in them that will bring them back again into an intimate right standing with Him in a new and right relationship with Him, even better than that which was lost in the Garden of Eden. And that is the story. That is the story of the whole Bible. So, 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 we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, foundations and pillars of future human rede- uh, redemption. That's what we see. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 21, it's a foundation. There are foundations here. There are pillars here that we are beginning to see a glimmer. We are beginning to sense here the foundation, the pillar of future human redemption. For one thing, we saw that this robe is an example of salvation, righteousness. There is, is, is an imagery. It is a representative, isn't it? It is a, a, a portrait of the is a portrait of the vicarious death of our lord jesus christ so these are foundations these are pillars of future human redemption that we are we are we are seeing here salvation righteousness vicarious death of our lord jesus christ we can see the shadow of all those things being presented to us in all these verses that we are reading and these pillars are necessary to rebuild this house so to say that has collapsed in the earthquake come caused by human sin and rebellion These pillars are necessary as God set out to rebuild this house that Adam and Eve has caused to collapse previously humans were righteous on the basis of a covenant on the basis of friendship relationship and fellowship they had with god at creation there was a covenant there was a friendship there was a relationship there was a fellowship that adam and eve were created into by the reason of the fact that they were created by god and when they transgressed against god they broke their covenant with god and therefore they became naked therefore they became unrighteous so so at the heart of man's sin and rebellion is a broken covenant so i'm moving from righteousness or unrighteousness to covenant or the breaking of covenant so we need to understand that that at the heart of adam and eve's at the heart of their sin and rebellion is a broken covenant Covenant and you will remember in this series when you go back to about episode 176 to about episode 184, we look at the concept of covenant between God and human at creation. We saw that the basic element of a kingdom, the basic element of a covenant, are embedded in the Genesis account. That even though you may not see the word kingdom and covenant used, but you will see the elements that the character of kingdom and the element and the character of covenant in the book of Genesis account. And we've done this, if you were not part of that, please go back episode 176 to about episode 184. Covenant defines God's relationship with man in his kingdom. Wherever you see relationship, look for covenant. Wherever you see covenant, look for relationship. Wherever you see covenant relationship, look for kingdom. Covenant is the constitution of the kingdom. And this is very, very important. Let's look at a simple definition because I don't want to go through everything we've done before. <laughs> Let's just look at the simple definition of covenant that uh, Daniel Lane gave us. A simple definition of covenant. A berith, and that is Hebrew word for covenant. A berith is an enduring agreement which establishes a divine defined relationship between two parties involving a solemn binding obligation to specified stipulation on the part of at least one of the parties towards the other, which is taken by oath, under the threat of divine cause, and rectified by a virtual ritual. I'm going to leave that on the screen for you to just look at for a couple of seconds. So a covenant is an enduring agreement, and a covenant is, is... applied that particular covenant is applied to a defined relationship. You need to understand that there's a different covenant between a man and his wife and there's a different covenant between parents and their children. There's a different covenant type of covenant nature of covenant between siblings. There are covenant so so a covenant is defined by the type of relationship that we are dealing with. And it involves solemn binding Obligations and this is very, very important. And it is ratified by oath and by ritual, and it is under guard by divine causes if any one of the party actually break the covenant. So, when you look at the concept of covenant, you will see that there are four essential elements. We've studied this before, I'm just going over that again because this is what happened when Adam and Eve fell, they broke covenant. There are four essential elements. In covenant, there's oath, there's commitment, there's grace, there's friendship. Oath, commitment, grace, and friendship. Okay? Oath that brings divine judgment and causes if you break the covenant or bring blessing if you obey the covenant. There's commitment, there's grace. Covenant often involve the grace of the stronger upon the weaker, okay? And a covenant is something, especially our covenant with God, is something God does of his own accord, of his own will, and there is friendship. So covenant is based on some kind of mutual understanding which enables the conclusion of an agreement. It's a pledge or a formal commitment to keep the agreement and that is what covenant is all about therefore there are terrible costs for breaking covenant and this is why i've gone this way when adam and eve broke the covenant with god there is a terrible cost when you break covenant as the children of israel okay as the children of israel the cost of breaking covenant okay let's just take one example from the life of the children of israel there's a story we read in the second book of samuel chapter 21 i'm just going to read the introductory verse second samuel chapter 21 let's just read verse one then there was a famine in the in the days of david three years remember a famine for three years can you understand famine for three years year after year and then david inquired of the lord and the lord answered it is for saul and his bloody house because he slew the gibeonite now this is important i'm talking about the cost of breaking covenant here famine for three years during the reign of david finally david saw the face of the lord and god told david the reason why this famine is in place is because of Saul. He calls Saul and his bloody house. He said, because Saul slew the Gibeonites. The question is, what is so special about the Gibeonites? Because the children of Israel slew many of their enemies. So what was really important about the Gibeonites is because the Gibeonites enter into treaty. They enter into covenant with the children of Israel. You remember when the children of Israel, when they came in and possessed Canaan, the Gibeonites were actually their neighbors, but the Gibeonites tricked them. And the children of Israel, Joshua and the children of Israel enter into covenant with the Gibeonites. When the Israelites realize that they have been misled, there's nothing else they can do about it. They already enter into covenant with them and they felt obliged to keep that covenant. Unfortunately, Saul, when Saul became king in his murderous act, Saul broke the covenant. He broke that covenant of peace that the children of Israel had with the, with the Gibeonites and he actually slaughtered them. Years later, for three years, rain did not fall. Famine threatened the land and the nation was suffering for three old years. Then David prayed, which is where we read, and the Lord confirmed that this that is happening, this is the cause of Saul's crime, of breaking Israel's covenant with the Gibeonites. And by the way, that was the punishment, But that punishment will have continued unless they pay the cost for that broken covenant. And atonement had to be made for breaking that covenant. And now they were suffering now for breaking the covenant. But for that suffering to stop, an atonement has to be made for this guilt. And without going into the detail, what we find is that seven of Saul's descendants were put to death so that the lives of hundreds and thousands of Israelites are spared, and rain began to fall again. Now, this verse is is a difficult passage, okay, particularly for us modern mind, because we don't understand what is going on, but we must read this story within its context, within the context of the time and the culture in which it is said. But there's one thing or two things I should say that this incident helped us to understand. Number 1, it helps us to understand the cost of breaking covenant. And number 2, it tells us the importance of atonement. It helps us to understand the cost of breaking covenant and it helps us to understand the importance of atonement. We said that at the heart of man's sin and rebellion is a broken covenant. This is why I've taken this detour. You know, we talk about righteousness, now we are talking about covenant as it relates to the fall. All right. At the heart, it's not just about, yes, they ate the fruit, they disobeyed God. In doing that, they've actually broken the covenant that they have with God. So at the heart of this rebellion is a broken covenant. Therefore, at the heart of redemption must be a restored covenant. And this is very, very important. Just like we saw in the in the, in the story of the children of Israel, you cannot just anyhow say, well, let's sweep it on the cap. No, you're broken the covenant and the cost, the right cost must be paid. That's the atonement. Adam and Eve broke a covenant. Therefore, at the heart of redemption must be a restored covenant. And for that covenant to be restored, The cost has to be paid for the broken covenant to be restored. And this is very, very important. Obviously, Adam and Eve are already suffering the punishment for breaking the covenant. But that will not pay the cost. They they cannot suffer enough to pay the cost for breaking the covenant. The necessary cost has to be paid for this broken covenant to be salvaged. And we see already that God said it's going to be done through the seed of the woman. Amen. And that is, that is one of the things we begin to see as God killed this animal. You remember all those things that we went to. Though I cannot be dogmatic about this. It looks to me that there are elements of covenant in this act of God, this act of God that we see in Genesis chapter 3. We saw that in Genesis chapter 3, there are various God divinely initiated action. Even as God was judging Eve and Adam, there were divine action. There were graces. There were things that God was doing of his own volition giving them the possibility, the the glimpse of hope that the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent, culminating in the killing of an animal so that they can be clothed. And all these are imagery, all these are pointers to the fact that there are elements here that I can see of covenant. Okay, It appears that while God was rightly administering judgment on Adam and Eve for breaking covenant, he did not totally dismantle his covenant relation with human. Rather, it appears that God was salvaging what can justly be salvaged out of the mess that humans have created. They've broken the covenant. God could have done away with them god could have discarded them discarded them god could have dismantled the whole thing but throughout genesis chapter 3 we see god again and again and again divinely initiating action of grace and redemption yes adam and Eve will have to suffer for what they have done but god seems to have set out straight away to pay the cost himself for the broken covenant god seems to begin to salvage what he can salvage. Obviously, the ultimate payment will come somewhere in the future, just like in the case of Saul. The ultimate payment actually came years later, excuse me, after Saul himself has gone. So this Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 that we've been reading, this account here, shares imagery with the tabernacle, in its allusion to animal sacrifice and temple worship. Remember, the tabernacle is the place where people meet with God. So as we're looking at this Genesis chapter three, verse 21, it's, 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 it's a shadow, it's a pointer to tabernacle or to the temple worship, because in the temple worship, we see animal sacrifice, isn't it, okay? It also point us to the redemptive work of Christ. It's a subtle subtle foreshadowing of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen this over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Okay, so once again, we we see the intersection of three fundamental and foundational concepts in biblical revelation. We've done this, we've seen this. This picture I'm going to show you now. But once again, you will see this over and over and over again. It is the concept of kingdom, the concept of covenant, and the concept of temple. And you will see this concept. These are foundational, fundamental concepts that runs throughout the scripture. Right from the book of Genesis, there's covenant, there's kingdom, there's temple. There's kingdom, there's covenant, there's temple. All these things wrap around each other. So this brings us to the last three verses in Genesis chapter 3, which is verses 22 to 24, which is the conclusion of the narrative of the fall. So next time, by the grace of God, we are going to pick it up from here. And if you are listening to me, you can see the love of God. There's no salvation in any name, except the name of Jesus, because he is the one that can pay the cost of the broken covenant. You and I are experiencing the punishment of broken covenant, but he only can pay that cross and he paid it on that cross so that you and I will not be lost. And all you need to do for you and I is to come to him and believe. Accept that we are sinners, accept that we cannot save ourselves, receive his provision. We'll be born again. There will be a transformation in our life and God will put on the rope of righteousness and we will stand, have a right standing with God and we'll begin to grow in grace. Begin to work in this world, grow in grace. And then when this is all over, we'll spend eternity with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do it today because tomorrow may be too late we sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on youtube maranatha teaching channel they will bless you thank you